I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours. We're a music podcast that chats to artists, musicians and creatives on their songwriting craft and upcoming projects. I'm your host, Simon Fink, and welcome to episode 233. Welcome to the podcast, and whether it is your first time or your 232nd time, we do appreciate it. Before we get to today's episode, please head to the show notes and follow us on our brand new YouTube channel, We're about to debut a brand new series of videos where we'll be joined by some very special guests. Um, Our first one does launch this Thursday and our first guest is US singer-songwriter Christian Lee Hudson who was in town to support Phoebe Bridges. Uh, You can find all the details and all of our socials in the previously mentioned show notes. I am very excited about today's episode. Our guest on the podcast today is Ziggy Ramo. The rapper and songwriter has been coming up in the Australian music scene for a number of years now, and there is so much more to the man than the labels that I just applied to him. Ziggy is an actor, a director, an activist, and more on top of his musical abilities that were mentioned. Um, and he's, he's, he's basically, he is just such an incredible talent to watch. On uh, January 26th this year, he released his brilliant second record, Sugar Coated Lies. Now, for anyone who was across his debut record, Black Thoughts, That record was a bit more about the external of what was going on in his life and and everything taking place. This second one, Sugarcoated Lies, is more about the internal and what is going on up there in his mind. This is a brilliant record and it is one that continues to reveal something new every time that I've listened to it and I imagine other people who listen to it are going to find the same uh, kind of experience. In today's episode, we're chatting with Ziggy about the, the sonics of this record and what was inspiring him at the time. We speak about him touring this record at some point and taking it to the people of Australia. Um, And we also discuss the the politics of his music, the elephant in the room, um, and how sometimes the messages are either lost or missed altogether and, and, and what that's kind of like from his perspective. We do want to say a massive thank you to Tian from Morse Code for helping us with today's episode. Before we get into it, you can also catch Ziggy on Black Snow, which is streaming now on Stan and uh, all the places where you can stream his music. Once again, we've put them in the show notes, so you'll be able to find them there. But let's get into it. Here is our chat with Ziggy Ramo. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Ziggy Ramo. Hello, sir. How are we? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, Where are you joining us from? It looks very green, very lush where you are at the moment. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually in Perth still. Um, I 
I came over for a show a couple of weeks ago and then I haven't been back here for years because of the pandemic and uh, my my sisters uh, live here. So I kind of uh, turned a week trip into almost a month. I, um, I haven't been able to leave the good weather. Um, uh, it's just been, yeah, beautiful to reconnect with family. So just trying to take a little bit of time before, uh, yeah, before it all ramps up again because the last eight months were, were pretty full on with uh, acting and music and a lot of stuff. So taking a breath while I can. I can very much appreciate that. And I also can admire the... Um, it's it's we're we're based in Adelaide. It's currently raining here today. From all accounts, it looks like it's raining uh, raining across the the east coast. Um, so I think you've made the smart move in uh, in staying yeah. with family and being able to kind of relax. <laughs> it's kind of wanted to experience summer, right? Like the east coast the last couple <laughs> of years, it's been a bit of a few curveballs. So yeah, couldn't turn down thirty plus degrees, sunny weather near a beach. So uh, yeah, it's been pretty great. You're a smart man. I can very, very much appreciate that. Um, I think that at the moment, there's a lot of excitement um, around you. Firstly, congratulations on this brand new record, Sugar Coated Lies. It uh, it came out on Invasion Day. Um, so far, the reception has been incredible. Uh, yeah. So first, congrats on that. How, how I guess how are you feeling now that these uh, this this body of work is out? It's pretty surreal. Honestly, um, you know, I, I think I try and I try and deem, uh, a release, like I try and deem it successful, successful before it ever goes out, if that makes sense. So like for me, it's like, did I express what I was trying to express? Like, does it move me? Um, you know, have I, do I feel reflected in that work? Like if all of those things tick, then I kind of sign off on like, yes, that's a successful release. Cause those are the things I can control, um, in terms of how people respond to it. And, um, you know, opportunities that come with once it's out in the world, I feel like if you're assigning the value on the art on that thing, like it's just, it's just the bottom of pit a little bit. Um, but in saying all of that, uh, yeah, the, the response has, has, um, has been pretty overwhelming in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just been, um, yeah, it's been beautiful to, to see people kind of connect to the record. And, um, I was very much ready to let it go. Like, you know, these songs are kind of four, four or so years old. So, um, it was really out of place where I, I wanted it to be in the world. So, um, yeah, I'm just really humbled, honestly, that, um, that, yeah, yeah, people are connecting with it, and it's just surreal that you know I can see and and hear hear the music outside of just being on my laptop. Of course, I imagine that, especially as you mentioned, that the songs have been sitting with you for, um, I think it was around two thousand and eighteen, two thousand and nineteen, where you kind of originally wrote yep. most of this music. Yeah, like after sitting with you for so long, and I imagine, uh, what's the word? Not like ruminating, but you know, you can look at all perspectives of the song with that much time with them. I, I imagine that there is a sense of relief for yourself now that they are out. <laughs> Massive, I, like, honestly, I think ruminating is such a good word. That's on the money because a lot of where these songs came from were these ruminating thoughts 
and ideas of self and, you know, of this intergenerational trauma. And they all kind of came out in these journal entries and then it was catching them all. Like, I think the way that I create is like this really intense, explosive kind of creative episode where everything just vomits out and then it's about catching it. And then it's like, oh my God, that was really intense. Kind of take a step back and then see what's there and, and really start to try and shape and, and refine it in, into a body of work. So um, I, I've kind of thought about it in like that, you know, a lot of these songs, you know, were scars and, oh, sorry, were wounds and, and having time with them, like it allows them to heal into, into scars. So it's like um, I have a little bit of distance from like the intensity and, and the vulnerability in it. And I've been able to kind of grow from those experiences. And so now being able to share them with people and, and, and talk and reflect on them. And, and even in the process of like, you know, doing final production and stuff, it's like, it's almost like revisiting, you know, my past self and, um, in such a tangible way, um, that it's, uh, yeah, that there is just like this overwhelming sense of like, yeah, relief of like, it's, it's done. It's like, can lay that version of myself to rest now and, you know, can revisit it and, and listen to it and, and perform it. But, um, that kind of chapter has been captured and, and, and kind of immortalized in, in that work. But yeah, now I get to continue and move forward from there. It is a, it is a beautiful body of work. I have to say, um, there is something very special about this record that, I want to make sure I'm articulating myself correctly when I say this, um, that it's, uh, there is multiple kind of layers to this music. And I also expect that anyone listening to to this episode, especially knowing yourself as an artist, that they're not going to be shocked by that, that there is many layers to, to, to your music. Um, there, I think there's something really special about the songwriting in this, that it, it kind of floats on a subject. And I think the more that you, listen to it the more that you read into the lyrics and we were very kind um sorry you were very kind in your team to send through some of the lyrics for the record i think you can see that there's more going on under the surface with that i'd love to know how you just before you mentioned that sometimes it's it's almost like vomit coming out and then you're working out what is what is the gold and, and what can kind of be put by the wayside how do you work i guess i guess build that structure where it's something that isn't just a face value kind of song that it does have these different measures and different things going on underneath just the surface of the song. Yeah. So weirdly it's like in that whole thing of like vomiting and what like gets left and what gets kept usually in those vomits, like, like that is the record. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like I had this creative episode where I wrote 30 songs and then I cut it down to 11. It's like, I write 11 songs and it's like, that's what the body of work is, but it's refining it in the sense of, you know, sounds and, and how they contextualize because so much of like the, the narrative, I, I should take it a step back. Like I, I think like all of these songs and all any song I ever write about, is just my lived experience. And um, I've been thinking about it for literally my entire life. So um, I have all of these kind of thoughts and ideas that are floating in my head that I know will eventually actualize into a song. It's just about like, in what context will that present? Um, 
And with this body of work, um, you know, and calling it Sugar Coat Lies, uh, you know, my, my first album was called Black Thoughts and um, it was kind of written as like this obituary where my mental health was like in such a gamble that I didn't really feel like I was going to be around for much longer. And I kind of felt like I wanted to get all my thoughts and understandings about this history and, and context in in a record that no matter what would live and, and be here, like regardless of where I was. Um, and so when I did that, um, that ended up like leading to me being hospitalized and going through a lot of therapy. And, and through that therapy, I started reflecting and, and growing and, and working and kind of rebuilding, um, these neural pathways that, um, better cope and, and manage these, um, ruminating and intrusive thoughts from like this compounding intergenerational trauma, right? And that's kind of what birth sugar coated lies because, um, I felt like Black Thoughts was so much about the external, about like what's out there, whereas Sugar Coated Lives was about coming internal. And um, it was about like, okay, this is the history and context in which I'm living, and now this is how it impacts me as an individual. And and it was about, um, it was about like trying to not only like sugarcoat in title, but sugarcoat in process. So as much as Black Thoughts was just like, you literally couldn't miss it, like I'm ramming it down your throat. With this, I wanted to go the other way where it's like, if you don't actively listen, like this can just feel like an album that you can put on at a house party. Um, you know, that's how I wanted it to sound because that's what we've done to our history. And like, that's what we've done to our lived experiences. Like we've suppressed them and swept them under the carpet. And you know, that double or, or I mean, multi-layered meaning of, of, of sugar coating, you know, comes from the fact that I'm, I'm indigenous, but I'm also Australian South Sea Islander and, and my father's Solomon Islander where, you know, uh, 62,000, uh, South Sea Islanders were, were brought over to, um, be enslaved to work on the sugar cane fields, um, in far North Queensland. And, you know, only in 2019, it's got Morrison, the then prime minister proclaimed that slavery never existed in Australia. And that's like, well, that completely contradicts how, like, how are we here? Do you know what I mean? How, like, why is there such densely populated groups of, um, Australian South Sea Islanders up in, in Queensland all around the sugar industry? And, um, so that for me was like the sugar coating of, of, of the lies, like we tell our, like in history, the lies we tell ourselves, like the lies we tell each other. And so then, it was taking what I'd done on Black Thoughts in terms of being outward and trying to come inward. And um, I think, like, for me as an artist, I don't want to do the same thing twice. So I wanted to, like, start to use a bit more poetic license where it's, like, these similar themes and ideas. I started, like, personifying, like, my relationship to systems or um, Australia or history into, like, you know, romantic relationships and, and relationships that whether or not you're Indigenous and, and whether or not you're a Australian South Islander, like you've experienced it in the human experience through relationships, right? Because we have relationship to country, we have relationship to this place and the way that it affects mm-hmm. us feels so tangible, like it is a person. Um, and so that was about trying to take all of those floating pieces um, and distilling it into like these kind of... Um, songs that could be on radio and, and could be in playlists and, and could um, be at festivals so that like in real time, 
what we've done to our history in, in sugarcoating it. Like it, it happens where it's like I could, you know, have my songs being played on the radio where people don't realize that it's like slave song anthems that, you know, is, is about like this deeply embedded trauma and history that I carry so that it then starts to like ruminate for them in a way that um, bypasses that kind of like um, internalized patriotism and, 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 and self-defense. Like it just kind of is a lot more, I guess, nuanced and subtle. So I feel like I, yeah, that was a lot. Um, but that's kind <laughs> of, I guess that was like the complexity of like trying to take all of that and then um, so much more attach it to like the inside versus external. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, 100%. I, um, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on, and um, look, I don't want to touch on it too much. I know it has been in the news. And if you don't want to talk about it, please let me know as well. Um, I guess miss I guess the misunderstanding, because as you said, the, the songs are being packaged so that, they can be played at a house party, but also hopefully if the person is actually listening, that, that it's going to reveal, reveal, I think reveal is probably the best word, uh, reveal the, the song to be to be about more than that. Um, I know that there was recently yeah, an, an, uh, I guess an incident, whatever you want to call it, with um, the city of um, Joondalup and them apologising after booking you for a concert, which I find a little bit insulting to you because uh, not just simply, I'm not saying this simply to suck up to you because you and I are face to face right now, but uh, (laughs) um, I feel like even the most base level person who is aware of Ziggy Rama as an artist would know that your music and lyrics and uh, even to a more commercial aspect, let's say your brand is passionate about those causes that we've already discussed about first nations um people and 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 the plights that many uh people of color within this country have gone through what is it like i guess in a more general sense not just talking about the council but uh when those songs are misrepresented and people don't get the point at all i guess well that's the so that specific example my issue was by no means that people didn't understand it. It was that, as you said, right, like City of Jindalup booked me. They knew exactly what I was doing. And what I did ended up um, confronting the audience, right? And so instead of asking the audience 
uh, to sit with that discomfort and interrogate um, what was brought up for them. Um, the city of Jindalup made the decision to uh, apologise, but the whole question was, is what are they apologising for, right? Because I had no swearing. Um, all that I was talking about was my lived experience and, and, and the uncomfortable history um, that we have because it is completely uncomfortable, right? Like no one wants to be part of uh, a genocide or, you know, the dispossession of, of people and, and the continued dispossession of, of people. So, um, yeah, when I get up there and I think about my lived experience, like I can completely understand how that's uncomfortable. And furthermore, like I like took that job knowing well and truly that I would be in front of people that didn't agree with me. And that was like the whole point because it's like if I'm only getting up and singing songs in front of people that already understand what I'm saying, then I'm just, it's like I'm stuck in an echo chamber, right? Like yeah. the thing that I want to see happen is change. So for change to happen, it means we need to engage in bipartisan, meaningful conversation where, you know, people who don't agree with each other, their ideas, right? And so, for me, um, I never like expect or, um, like I don't feel entitled to people's reaction and I don't feel that people, uh, have to agree with me, right? Because all that I'm talking about is a lived experience. So this is all I can speak on. And, and, you know, I don't know what people's lived experiences are. So I can't determine whether or not they'll understand or misunderstand or agree or disagree or feel offended or, or whatever the um, reaction will be. But I do it in a hope to like awaken, you know, this sugar-coated um, history, right? Like it, it's to, it's to have a moment where people have to sit with that discomfort. Um, and so for me, like, Again, that whole incident was way less about, I mean, don't get me wrong, right? It's not nice to know that you're performing in front of people who like outwardly don't, uh, um, want to kind of hold space for, um, the fact that your community has gone through some horrific things. Like that's not a nice feeling, but I do that in a hope that, um, you know, that's going to, what will, that's what will create change for my community in the long run. Yeah. Um, so then to have been put in that, uh, situation, which was orchestrated by the, uh, council. Um, and then when they got the backlash, them not to, um, support and, um, and, uh, back, I guess, essentially their decision that they did. And, uh, yeah, to completely kind of undermine everything that, like the emotional labor that I took on to do that. Um, it just kind of felt like a complete missed opportunity, right? Like, uh, the council could have, um, very much easily issued a statement about, we understand that people are offended and we ask you to think about and reflect on, on why you deem that offensive. Um, but lo and behold, that's not the first time something like that's happened. Like uh, I, um, Unfortunately, don't think it's the last time, but I think for me with my art, um, you know, so much of it is, yes, it's the performance on stage, but then it's the performance once the singing stops, right? It's like being able to be articulate enough to, um, when all of that's happening, talk to the ABC and, um, be able to navigate trauma, um, 
like a trauma response in a articulate way that people can understand. And um, that's just kind of the position that I've found myself in and, and understand that like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably not what a lot of other artists have to do, um, but it's also like um, I choose it because this is, you know, I, I want I want to see change within my community. And I guess to kind of tie that back in, in into sugar-coated lies, like as much as it is about like sugar-coating it, it is also about like demonstrating like my existence is resistance, right? It's like I don't. I never kind of deemed myself as a political artist with black thoughts. Like I just wrote what I've lived um, and it was deemed political because yeah, being black is politicized. So um, we shoot quite a lies. Like I just wanted to um, further demonstrate that I'm a full complex human being as we all are um, and kind of take that kind of next step and, and next chapter creatively and, um, you know, as much as I want to like sit around and, and have like, you know, thought provoking conversation, like I also want to have joy in my life. Right. So like as much as it is about like sugarcoating it, um, in that way, like it's also like I grew up loving pop music and songwriting, like as an individual and an artist, like I want to give myself the freedom to just like create from instinct and, and not, um, you know, it's not that the intent isn't there because, I mean, that's kind of ingrained in, in who I am and what I'm doing, but it's also just giving myself permission so, to just be myself, like, completely. Yeah, of course. It's I can imagine that there's obviously, and, and I say this as a... As a as a white male in in his thirties, um, knowing where like that there is a position of privilege from myself, that there obviously is a lot more going on for yourself in in the shape of an artist when you're trying to put out something like that. Because as you said, it's this thing of that some people might look at it as a performance, but it's not simply just a performance. It is, as you said, this lived trauma, these lived experiences, and not just simply getting up there to be political. But with yeah, with this second record, you've demonstrated the the internal, the 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 monologue that's inside of you, what's going on in in I guess different um different ways and, and manifest in different kind of complexities. Um I would love to touch on just for a second, at the end there you mentioned that you again like all of us you are just a person you loved pop music kind of growing up i'd love to know sonically what kind of inspired sugar-coated lies what were you listening to or what was kind of going on in the studio when when um you were creating the sonics for this record yeah i mean such a big part of this record was um kind of displacement and and like but i mean bleh intentional displacement right like in in 2017 I, I spent a bunch of time in LA and then when I was moving back um I was studying in Perth at the time and that's kind of when I really just was like I'm putting all the chips in the table and I'm going to go some music and so I instead of going went back to Perth I moved to Sydney so I kind of like left um my creative safety net um, where, you know, I wrote Black Thoughts and had my kind of um, collaborators and um, uh, what that meant was, you know, I was just like in this whole new context. And I like, I, I didn't really know any other writers or community and um, Sugar Coated Lies just kind of stemmed from me learning and teaching myself how to produce. So um, 
you know, I felt like I'd really honed my craft as a lyricist, but spending time and like doing songwriting sessions in LA, right? Like I went from like just being alone by myself, like writing black thoughts to with Jay Cal who did all the production to like being in a room where there's like a top liner and then there's a producer and then there's the artist and then the producer has another producer come in and then, you know, the A&R comes in and the A&R is also a top liner. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there was like this whole yeah. world of like songwriting, right? And um, so that kind of really just opened up my lens of like looking at um, songwriting in a different way because I've been like so focused on the lyrics and I mean I'm always going to be that way but um, yeah it, it made me just start to try and be able to express myself musically um, and so I mean what I was listening to was just anything and everything like I've I've never really felt like tied to a genre like and if anything I find myself like the further I work in music, the less, like, the harder it becomes to listen to new music in a way because, like, I, it's, like, I'm mm-hmm. actively listening. So I've really found myself, like, going back um, to just, like, nostalgic records for me and, like, Miseducation of Warren Hill is, like, one of my favourite albums of all time. Like, I love Bob Marley, a lot of Stevie Wonder. Um, just, like, all of these things that had, like, great songs and, like, great songwriting, you know, and just like song structure and, um, you know, so, um, and then weirdly I, I spent a bit of time in Sweden and, you know, so much of like Swedish, yeah, like the Swedish fingerprints are just everywhere on like popular music and Maxima and then, um, just really like diving into like what are the components that go into writing a song. Um, and so, yeah, that was, it was kind of like, I love to learn by doing. So um, I just started kind of writing these demos and um, had had gotten a few sessions and, and started collaborating with a few different people and um, met with uh, Lewis Mitchell, who's now like one of my best buddies, and he was uh, vocal engineering for like Sony and Universal, and, and we met, and he kind of came on to executive produce. And, um, yeah, like together we kind of like really learned the ropes of like what it is to try and write songs you know and and like um uh for me so much of this was yeah like it was really just about um kind of yeah giving myself a mission to um have a go at stuff and and i like i love i love producing i think um songwriting it's so much fun right it's like a puzzle it's um sort of like where you're getting these ideas and you know you're trying to find the right things and and you have different tool belts like you know and, and it's about like when when you use when you use them um so yeah i mean and that's i guess that's a sad thing it's like the more you write music the less you listen in a way so like i think in a very <laughs> roundabout way like i was just so much like in 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 this world of, of, of trying to make it i can very much appreciate that and i would agree with that sentiment i think sometimes especially if you're trying to be deliberate with something when you do listen to something external it has to be for a very certain purpose i guess so um one thing I would very quickly like to ask, Pazzy, uh, can we expect to see you touring the record around the country? I know, as we mentioned, the uh, the reaction has been pretty positive so far, and I know that there are people excited to kind of see you out on the road and playing these songs uh, in, in front of crowds. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm pretty, like, art-led, right? So, like, uh, I feel like in the music business sometimes, you know, it's got a whole balance of art and commerce and 
we kind of have structure on everything and it's like album comes out, two a day comes out, bang, 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 bang. And <laughs> for me, it was just like the time felt right for the music to be out and, um, uh, have put it out. And yeah, as people kind of resonate and connect with it, if those opportunities present itself, like there's nothing more I would love than, than to play it, um, for people. But, um, yeah, just, just kind of like, I kind of, um, have always just like allowed it to, to unfold how it's going to happen. So, I mean, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. putting out all the energy that I'll get to, um, <laughs> to play um, this in front of people because uh, that's going to be so much fun. But um, in terms of like hard dates and exactly what context that'll be, like, um, yeah, I, I'm still to kind of let that unfold. Of course, look, I can very much respect that. And uh, when and if they happen, I do look forward to uh, seeing you either here in Adelaide or somewhere on the road. Um, Ziggy Boo usually asks our guests what they're currently listening to. I know we just spoke about listening to music when recording, when writing. Now that you're kind of out of that space, you're in a more, uh, maybe we'll say less artist, more consumeristic space. I don't want to say consumeristic, you know what I mean? You can listen as, as a music lover. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything at the moment that's on repeat for yourself? Yeah, the um, Gemini Rights, like Steve Lacey's record, I like listened to yeah. a lot last year. Just like, I, I love records that I can just press play on that I don't have to shuffle and I can just listen all the way through. Like, because I just, I love Bodies of Work. Um, that was so cool. I think, yeah, like Steve is so, um, he's so creative musically and, and he's very much like, just doing what he likes to do. And I think that just like oozes from it, which is really cool. Um, yeah, that kind of probably got like the most rotation for me, I reckon, in, in the last little bit of time. It is a very solid record. Um, very good choice. <laughs> um, Ziggy, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and congrats on Sugar Coated Lies. It is out now. Um, we'll make sure we put um, all the kind of links where people can find it in the episode uh, of this podcast. But thank you again for coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.